All's fair in love and cold war. We are the SpyFi Guys, and this is The Americans. Welcome to the SpyFi Guys, where we cover spy facts, spy fiction, and everything in between. I'm Christian. And I'm Zach. And today we are continuing with our rerun summer, where we're covering spy TV shows from all across the ages. And this week we're covering The Americans from 2013. Yes, this is one of my dad's favorite TV shows. And he has been bugging <laughs> okay. me to have us cover it for basically since we started this. <laughs> All right. Interesting. We can get to a little I, bit more about that when we hit our reviews. So I had heard about this show, obviously, and like it was a big hit, but I just never got around to watching it. I don't know why. I just I think well, what did it air on originally like Showtime or something? I don't even remember. Yeah, I don't recall. As far as I remember it, it was always an Amazon Prime original oh, okay. show. And I remember people loved it. People couldn't stop talking about it. But by the time I was getting interested, actually, I tried to watch it once but per my dad's prompting and I didn't make it too far. And then it was five seasons and each season is 13 episodes <laughs> long. And that was just too long. Yeah. I mean, it could be worse. It could have been like a regular 22, 23 episode season. Well, then I definitely wouldn't be watching yeah. it. <laughs> oh, it looks like it aired on FX originally. Okay. so Yeah, that I, makes sense. Yeah. General premise is that they're a family, and the mom and dad of the family are undercover Russian spies, and everything that goes on. So we covered the pilot episode for this. Do we have a synopsis from IMDb? Yes. The pilot is called Pilot. And the synopsis is, Philip and Elizabeth Jennings are two seemingly normal Americans who are really undercover KGB agents. After kidnapping a Soviet defector, they discover their new neighbor is an FBI agent assigned to their case. Wah, wah, wah. It sounds like a <laughs> wacky sitcom. Right? It does, doesn't it? So we start off with a title card, Washington, D.C. Elizabeth, played by Kerry Russell, is in a bar with a guy who's bragging about working with the president. He flashes a DOD badge. And she seems very interested. He takes her home. She undresses. And she's about to go down on him when he mm -hmm. starts blathering on about the many threats to freedom, you know, dangerous the world is. And then she goes down on him. Yeah, and he's totally she... bragging. Yeah. Yeah, right away we get the adult content on the show. They don't waste I any time. I was not expecting it. I didn't know that about the show. I just knew that there was, like, spies involved. So when that happened, I was very surprised. FX, fearless. Uh. Or probably at the time their tagline was no limits or something like that. <laughs> I also wanted to point out that not only does it take place in D.C., it takes place in D.C. in 1981. Is it 81? Okay. I thought yeah. it was like around, well, we get something that indicates around what era later on. But yeah, I didn't know it was specifically 81. Yeah. Also, this episode is one hour and nine minutes long. So it's almost as long as a movie. What movies are you watching? Average movies are like two and a half hours nowadays. Yeah, but those wacky comedies, like The Spy Who Dunked Me, those are more like an hour and a half. And nowadays, they're probably like two, two. They're inching up. They're getting yeah, longer. Every now. movie is inching up. <laughs> Anyways, uh, she leaves and gets into her car and she pulls off her blonde wig. And we mm -hmm. cut to three days later. Someone get off a bus. There's two men, Rob and Philip, who are waiting for the guy who came off the bus. Rob is a bit nervous. Apparently, this guy that they're watching has killed a lot of people. Yeah, he's a good fighter. And this part, first of all, I was confused because I was like, is this the same guy that the mom was with at the beginning? 
but I think no. But then also this part reminded me a lot of Munich when they I would wait for their targets walking down the street. Yeah. We see her talking to someone through their door gap and she offers the man a few hundred dollars to look out his living room window for a few minutes. And so she signals to the two men below that she's in by shaking a curtain. So yeah, that's also very reminiscent of Munich. We see the silhouette of the man carrying a briefcase walking around. He's at the corner right where Rob and Philip are. And they're all waiting. And he stops right before the corner, looks around, and he bolts. They run after him, claiming to be immigration. Again, also like Munich. <laughs> I think they pretended to be cops or something. Yeah. So Rob chases, but gets stabbed. And then Philip catches up. They have a knife fight. That was really good. Yeah. Really good, really good action. Eventually, Philip ends up on top. And the guy who's being chased says that he knows that he's not supposed to be killed. And that they could get a lot of money, $3 million, if they just turned him into the Americans. So they bring him to the car, and as they're doing it, they claim to be police. They're, like, yelling at everybody. We're the police. We're the police. That's fine. And the other guy's like, no, they're not the police. That's kind of wild. But it's also something that, like, a crazy guy would also say. Yeah. So they drive down a bunch of back alleys. They switch out their plates. Uh, Rob is also in the back seat and he's bleeding out and they pass mm. by the Lincoln Memorial and there's debate between uh, Elizabeth and Philip over whether to save Rob by bringing him to a hospital or making the drop. Yeah. Nice moral dilemma, though they don't really spend a lot of time with that in the episode. It's not really what the show is about, but it seemed like the kind of thing they would cover in um, fair play, which we'll be talking about more later. What they end up doing is they bring Rob close to a hospital, but not all the way in. They get to the drop site, which is like a dock or something. The barge has already left. Somebody says the mission comes first around Mm -hmm. here. Um, That was definitely Elizabeth. Oh, yeah. (laughs) She's the killer. So we go to FBI headquarters down on, was that, E Street? In Uh, D.C.? Yeah, I, I think it's across from... Penn Social, yeah. which is also on yeah. E Street, you know, the E Street Cinema. Yeah. If it's the same one. It I is the it same is. one. It's been the one. It's the one, the iconic one. Iconic, do you mean butt ugly? I kind of like the design of it. Well, nobody know, else different. does. <laughs> That's true. So we meet Stan Beeman, and he's meeting his new counterintelligence partner, Chris Amador, who's played by Maximiliano Hernandez who you might recognize as S.H.I.E.L.D. agent Jasper Sitwell from a bunch of the Marvel movies. He goes hail Hydra to one of the other, to a senator in Winter Soldier, and he's the one who gets dropped off of the building. Not ringing any bells? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that certainly sounds familiar, but I didn't realize that was him. But then Stan is Noah Emmerich, and he was in Space Force as one of the generals. He was in the Truman Show and The Walking Mm -hmm. Dead. But I think Space Force is where I recognized him from. Find out that they're all there for a briefing or a speech from Timoshev, who is the guy who was kidnapped last night, and he's late. We also find mm-hmm. out this is the Reagan era. Timoshev is an ex-KGB colonel who blew the whistle on Directorate S undercover agents hiding all over the U.S. Mm-hmm. Amador doesn't buy it. Uh, Stan is a little more curious about it. Yeah, this part was interesting in a lot of ways. They were like, Directorate S agents, that sounds like something out of a Hollywood movie. 
And then also they're like, Timoshev has never been more than 30 seconds late to anything. And we've known him for a long time. So I was like, oh, go to them to like catch on to that. Mm -hmm. So we go to Timoshev, who is now gagged and tied up in the trunk of the car in the garage. Philip gives him something to drink. Timoshev tries to get Philip to turn him into the FBI for $3 million. Philip refuses, goes back to the kitchen, and tells the family that the car won't start, so they'll have to take the bus. And so him and Elizabeth have two kids, a girl who's 13, and I'm not sure how old the son is, probably like 10. Mm-hmm. As yes. the kids leave, she, re- she says that you know they need to get rid of Timoshev. Elizabeth seems a bit more devoted to the cause than Philip. Uh, yeah, you could say that again. So this was an interesting conflict. Again, it reminded me of Munich, even though nothing specifically like this happened in Munich. It's like the same idea where they're on their own in a mm-hmm. foreign land and they have a problem and it's not going to resolve itself and they don't know what to do. So we next see Philip in a park. I think this is supposed to be near DuPont Circle. So this would be, oh, I don't remember what that big park that's near DuPont is called anymore. I used to go there for lunch. Though, but I, I, mm, No, not quite. No, maybe. Also around here, somebody describes the director at S agents as saying they're trained and ordered to only speak in English, which explains why when the parents are together, it's just the two of them, they speak in English, which is very helpful for the audience. That's not too much later. Well, that's where my note is. <laughs> I, have, I have a whole bunch before we get to that. Well, I think it was in the same conversation about director at S agents. So we see Philip in a park. He is apparently supposed to be somewhere near DuPont Circle. I think it's probably supposed to be the Ferry at North Park, which is near where I used to work. And I when I, I used to have lunch there sometimes. There used to be a bunch of like food trucks that would surround it. So he's watching everyone as they're going around. They're bu- doing their business. He sees a couple of cops who are like running around. And so he puts, as they're not watching... He puts very subtly puts a dead drop underneath the bench, which I thought was nice. pretty clever. So does this park look like Farragut Square as far as you remember? Vaguely. I don't think that they actually filmed in D.C. for this, but they made it, you know, close enough. Yeah, I remember thinking if it was supposed to be near DuPont Circle, it really doesn't look like it. But that's fine. They tried. Yeah. So Elizabeth goes to talk to Timoshev in the garage. And right before she opens the trunk, she looks at herself in the reflection of the rear window. And we go to a flashback mm-hmm. uh, when we're in Guriazo, Soviet Union, 1960, where Elizabeth is doing boxing training. Yeah. And this reminds me, and now for the last <laughs> time, of Black Widow. Now, this, you know what this reminded me of straight up is Mission Impossible 3, because Ethan Hunt is having flashbacks of Lindsay, also played by Carrie Russell, doing her training. Oh, yes. She was played by Carrie Russell. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Timoshev comes up. This is years ago. He's only a captain. Pins her to the ground and her trainer leaves. And mm-hmm. Timoshev starts unbuckling his pants racer. I thought they were going to cut before that, which I would have appreciated. So this is interesting because this is the kind of thing you'd think they would reveal later in the series. I'm sure you probably heard the trope that unfortunately with women characters something writers love to do is have them get pregnant or have them be assaulted like that it's like character growth so i was surprised to see it here all right so back in the present elizabeth opens her trunk and says to timoshev remember me in a threatening way and then elizabeth goes to talk to her kids after they get home the daughter is doing a paper assigned by one of her teachers on how the russians cheat on arms control 
Yeah, which is definitely a product of the period. I don't think kids would be doing that today, even no, though it's still relevant no. today. So they go and they get ice cream. They have what is called ice cream Olympics, where they're supposed to be, you know, like catching the ice cream as Philip is moving it back and forth. Yeah, it was a cute family scene. Tries to get Elizabeth in on it, and she, like, is mad when she shoves the ice cream in her face. Yeah, you could definitely see which one is the more serious one and which one's the more fun one. Yeah. So Philip has to go meet a client late, which is code for he has to do some spy stuff. Yes. So he goes into a bathroom. He puts on a wig and glasses and meets Martha, who is a secretary at the FBI. There's one other thing I wanted to mention, actually. I missed it because it went by so fast. One of the kids mentions a kid in her class. And, oh, yes. And the mom says, is that the kid with the hair lap? No, and- that was the teacher. Oh, sorry, the teacher. Okay, excuse me. Yeah. But the point is, the kids get mad at her. And it made mm-hmm. me wonder, and I don't remember, maybe you remember, did the Soviets have the same kind of views on people with disabilities as the Nazis did? Where they were, I like, had to be purged? Don't know. I don't Could, think so, but I could be completely wrong. Because I feel like there was a reason why that was there. Or maybe uh-huh. it was, like, a hint that the parents did not have the same sensibilities as the kids. And it may be due to their background. That's definitely that, yeah. I would say it's probably that. Philip is claiming to be a counterintelligence agent looking for leaks in her office. So she's telling him everything that she knows. Mm -hmm. She knows that a man was kidnapped. He asked about a centralized response. Apparently they've been on the vault all day. She doesn't have the access to get go in there and find out what exactly was going on. But they did tie the kidnapping to a police report from last night. And they have a vehicle description and description of the kidnappers. Vague enough that it's you, they won't immediately pinned to Philip and Elizabeth, but still close enough. I think the car description is a bit more concerning to them. Yeah, and she just gives everything up like immediately to him. And so Martha also tells him that extra agents were sent to surveil the Soviet embassy, and that the FBI thinks that the kidnappers will try to get uh, the kidnapped person out of the country by any means. So back at home, Philip is putting his disguise elements back in the hiding spot behind the what do you call this? The the where all the breakers are. The fuse box? Fuse box. Thank you. I was like, what is yeah. that called? <laughs> Not the breaker, the board, something fuse box. Yeah. Mm. It's behind the fuse box and he also sees the tape recording that Elizabeth made of the DOD guy from the beginning mm-hmm. of her seducing him. And also how she got him to tell her all about Timoshev. Yeah, it's basically a sex tape. I like the part where he fast forwards, where he's like, I don't want to hear this. So we see a news broadcast about the Iran hostages, which made me think, all right, how long, refresh my memory back to Argo, how long were those hostages there? Well, so the revolution took place in 1979, and they were imprisoned for at least 300 days. Okay, so it's to be 1980 then. So yeah, so it's like they're coming home. Or okay. they should be soon. So I was like, I remember Argo was in 1979. So I was like, okay, that timeline lines up. So Philip tells Elizabeth what he learned. He says that they have to assume that the Soviets are in full operational stand-down. Elizabeth wants Timoshev out of the house. And Philip jokes about defecting for that $3 million. <laughs> yeah, he keeps and bringing it up. Elizabeth is pissed at him and just and goes to bed apparently they do go to bed angry <laughs> so next day elizabeth is checking the mail and she sees that someone is across the street moving in philip is taking the kids to the mall at the mall philip is looking at cowboy boots and he's overhearing some other conversations 
sees a much older guy with a young girl and is suspicious about it. Yeah, he's creepy. Also, I, I just want to mention he does a little bit of line dancing. Oh yeah, I, I, don't do it. I was about to get to the line dancing in the booth. Oh, okay. While yeah. uh, his daughter, whose name I do not remember the kids' names, but his daughter is kind of embarrassed. As they would and be it, at that age. Yeah. As they're checking out, the older man, the creepy older dude, mm-hmm. starts to hit on the daughter, and Philip tries to confront him, but the guy is clearly much bigger than Philip, and just right. sort of, so he just sort of backs out, backs down. Philip says she's thirteen about the oh, daughter. Yeah. Well, actually, maybe she does like thirteen. I don't know, but yeah, yeah. She looks thirteen. But I, I would say that they do have a confrontation, and Errol, which is the guy's name, ultimately oh, yeah. backs down. And and Philip says to the daughter, it's not worth fighting everybody. Which, hmm. it makes me wonder, like, has he gotten into fights before? Presumably not, because he comes off as a very mild-mannered guy. But then, mm-hmm. like, I never saw my dad ever get into a fight growing up. So if it looked like he was going to get in one, that would be a pretty big deal. Like, mm-hmm. I would remember that. But yeah. the daughter seems pretty unfazed, pretty nonplussed. There was a confrontation, but it wasn't. It didn't get physical. It was just more of a like sizing each other up kind of deal. Yeah, maybe describing it as they almost get into a fight isn't exactly accurate. No, yeah, no. Anyway, so back at home, Elizabeth is baking some brownies, which looked really good. She mm. gets out a knife to cut the brownies, and thinks about stabbing Timoshev. Yeah, that's clearly the implication. Once a character has a knife in their hand in a show, you know there's going to be a problem. <laughs> So Philip gets home. Apparently Elizabeth met the new neighbor. She still has the knife in her hand. And she's like, don't worry, I didn't kill him. (laughs) Philip is trying to get romantic, but she's not into it. And she holds the knife at his throat. Yeah, this is a a total like Black Widow type thing. You could describe it as marital tension. So the family goes over to see the new neighbors. And surprise, it's Stan, the FBI agent. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Womp, womp, So they their family has a son who's about the same age as Philip and Elizabeth's daughter. They're definitely making eyes at each other. Oh yeah. We see Philip in the garage with Elizabeth. He's panicking. She's calm. She thinks it's all a coincidence. But Philip's like, or you know, this is the end game. (laughs) Which I gotta say, Philip, buddy, I'm not with you here. If they knew (laughs) you guys were agents, they would have just rolled up with a whole bunch of SWAT team. People, they wouldn't move an FBI agent's family within easy stabbing distance of the Russian agents. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't know that they would immediately go after them. I think they would tr- want to learn as much as they could about them and see if they knew any of the other people in the in the ring. Well, if they were going to do that, they would just could put people across the street in like a surveillance van. Rather than saying, hi, I'm an okay. FBI agent. How are you? That, okay, that the fact that they did that, that's yes. But if it was, yeah, if they just moved someone across the street, that would make sense. But yeah, but then say that they're he, FBI agent. He would be undercover. He would pretend to be yeah. literally anything else. Yeah, but all right. But this is probably the closest they've gotten to anything. This is also there's a big deal happening with Timoshev. So he is understandably panicked. The fact that Timoshev is in the house where their right. children live and sleep, mm-hmm. he's panicked. Yeah. So she wants to get rid of Timoshev tonight. He wants to think of something else. Maybe just, you know, live their lives as Philip and Elizabeth turn themselves in and make a deal. And Elizabeth is incredulous. She's like, what about the kids? They would never, we swore that we would never tell them. And they Mm -hmm. would never, 
you know, they'd be normal us for not trusting us. Yeah. Yeah. And also the KGB would find them. So they wouldn't <laughs> always be on the run. Yeah. It made me wonder, do they have families back in the old Soviet Union? Presumably they do. Yeah. Well, maybe not like husband and wife, but their parents and whatnot. Presumably. Yeah. So at this point I was like, uh oh, is this going to be the show? <laughs> is this going to be the show of them arguing about whether or not to defect? I don't know. Well, we'll get to that more later. So Philip goes for a run, and he has a flashback to Moscow in 1962. We see him in KGB offices. He's got a photo of a different girl that's clearly not Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. And as the door opens, he you know tears up the photo and puts it in the trash. Oh, it's so symbolic. And he's meeting Elizabeth for the first time. The colonel who's there leaves them to discuss their new lives. And they're never to speak of who they were before. That way it makes it easy so they don't have to think of two identities in their mind. They'll only ever know that person is Philip and is Elizabeth. That's easy and convenient for the audience. They don't yeah. call them by different names. On his run, Philip goes to a payphone and calls the hospital about Rob, the guy who got stabbed. He poses as a sheriff. I'm very impressed by how quickly he's able to just come up with these identities. That's part of that fictional spy training where they can do anything. But yeah, that was the good <laughs> part. I am kind of surprised that they weren't like, oh, that's private information or whatever. Well, but, it's a sheriff. Yeah, and I guess since he's a drifter. Then and, like, and he's a John Doe, so yeah, yeah. That's all good. But we find out that he died, so that's one, uh, you know, yeah, one old Rob, string. We barely knew him. So Philip gets back from his run, and he sees Stan outside, who needs some jumper cables for his wife's car. So Philip says, oh, sure, and brings him into the house, brings him into the garage, has to get the jumper cables out of the car, right, or out of the trunk detected. specifically, without be, without <laughs> having too much of being detected. And it's all a very tense scene. We have Stan asking about the car, which Stan knows is the same make and model as the car that apparently drove up you know drove away and was involved in the kidnapping yeah and philip knows that he knows yep so initially i was like why didn't philip just lie and say he didn't have any jumper cables but then i was like well maybe that's more suspicious like mm -hmm. what good 1980s man doesn't have jumper cables ready to go at a set moment's notice but then for the second time i was like is this going to be the show like is it just going to be them <laughs> narrowly avoiding detection by I FBI mean, agents probably. for six seasons. I mean, I'm assuming it progressed from there, but I feel like to some degree it's probably that. But they do get out of it eventually, and he's able to get the jumper cables and give them to Stan. Yes. There's also a conversation that Stan was undercover in the past. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this is at FBI headquarters. Right. Stan and his partner Chris are meeting with Agent God. Is that how you pronounce that? I just... G-A-A-D. Yep, I think that's right. Who is detailed to a CIA counterintelligence task force. We find out that, yeah, here, that Stan used to be undercover with a white supremacist group for three years. Is that is that right? I think so. And they kind of want to know more about it. They're like, what'd you do? What'd you say? Mm -hmm. He ain't talking. Understandably so. He seems not want to talk about it, but is able to get into that mindset of someone who's undercover. 
I like that they acknowledge that they're talking, just talking in a hallway. Because there's someone who goes up to the vending machine and they're like, stick glaring at him. It's like, no, this is a private conversation. Get away. So like the guy backs away. <laughs> but yeah. they are still just talking in a hallway. I mean, yes, sure, it's FBI headquarters, so it's kind of secure, but still. Apparently not that secure. There's secretaries narking on them everywhere. <laughs> right. But so he re- says that, all right, thinking in that undercover mindset, they wouldn't keep Timoshev at the embassy or on the street. What they would probably do is keep him in the house, and that way they'll probably never find them. Yeah, I gotta say, it's a little bit of a stretch that they would want to torture him forever. I'm like, I don't know. But when they say bring him back to the house, it's like, I assume they don't mean literally a house. They just mean a safe house. Not like a house in the suburbs. No, and I think the, I think he means that because they know. So they already know about these director S uh, sleeper agents who are living as Americans. Uh huh. Well, so, again, they, that's what they assume. Well, are. it's a logical leap yeah. that S director agents exist. Ergo, they must have been the ones who did it. Well, the fact that Timoshev is the one who whistle blew about these uh, director S sleeper agents in the first place. <laughs> kind of leads them to assume so. In the Hollywood world, everything kind of lines up very nice and neatly. Yeah. We have Philip going to an event at his son's school, which is like Fairfax Middle School or something like that. I was like, oh, Fairfax, I know where that is. <laughs> yeah. And it's uh, an event honoring astronaut Stafford. There's a lot of Americana imagery, mm-hmm. flags, the anthem. There, Or was it the anthem or was it like something yeah. else? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. I was, it was either, in my mind, it was either the anthem or America, the beautiful one of the two. Mm-hmm. And as this, he's listening to all of this, you can see on his face that Philip is starting to have doubts. Again, this is the show. Sorry, I'll stop. <laughs> For now. <laughs> After the event, Philip goes to the garage. He starts untying Timoshev, removes the gag, says that he wants to make a deal. Yeah, all by himself. Doesn't talk to his yep. wife about it. His no. fake wife. And Elizabeth comes down to see him releasing Timoshev. He says that he's going to give Timoshev to Stan. Uh, Timoshev and Elizabeth have a fight. A big where, fight. Yeah. It seems to be kind of equal. Elizabeth get, you know, starts beating the crap out of him, but then Timoshev throws Elizabeth into the wall. Philip mm. tries to intervene, and then Elizabeth shouts to him to back off, at which point Elizabeth like beats the crap out of Timoshev, puts his head through the drywall, and picks up a tire iron. Mm-hmm. And it looks like he's gonna. she's just going to bash his head in. Fortunately, nobody hears the fight in this quiet suburb in the middle of the night. You don't yeah. hear all the crashing around. <laughs> the kids are heavy sleepers. Or they had the, the garage soundproofed. Oh, actually, they would do that. Yeah. Especially if they're going to be leaving in the middle of the night and such. Uh, yeah, constantly doing mission. spy yeah. stuff. Anyway, so at this point, when she has the tire iron, Timoshev apologizes, says that, you know, it was a perk of his position that he could do whatever he wanted to to the cadets. And mm. Philip demands to know what he's talking about. At this point, Elizabeth drops a tire iron and says to Philip, you know, do what you want with him. If you, you want to give him to a stand, fine, give him a stand. So Philip picks up Timoshev, throws him mm. against the wall, and breaks his neck. What we get from this is Philip loves Elizabeth. He does. He loves yeah. her. And he he and may he... not care about the mission, but he cares about her. <laughs> not so much. Yeah, because he was willing to let it go until 
he found out that he hurt Elizabeth and then he yeah. got into a murderous rage. Mm-hmm. They are driving their car together. This amazing song in the air tonight by Phil Collins. I'm assuming you know it. Yes. For me, I think the first time I heard it was in Risky Business uh, mm-hmm. with Tom Cruise. Starring Tom Cruise, of course. Of course, yes. But just in general, just such a great song. So mm-hmm. it plays over this whole scene as they're covering it. They bring his body to random place near the water. <laughs> Not sure where it was supposed to be. They, like, douse his body with chemicals to, I assume, to make it unrecognizable. Mm-hmm. Zip up the body bag and throw it into that whatever body of water that is. And then they go back into the car, at which point Elizabeth comes over to Philip and they kiss. There's a definite release of tension between the two, and they ha- end up having sex in the back seat. Nothing turns her on like disposing of a dead body. I don't know. I think it was more the fact that what she, what she, he did for her, you know, a fact that, you know, this man hurt her in the past, and he gave away all of his thoughts of defecting and getting that $3 million because of her. That's some of that. Or it also might be the release of tension now that they've gotten rid of him. That too, the, yes. The it's all of the above, yeah. Mm. So back at home, they are applying makeup to hide some scars. Apparently there's some cuts or wounds. Evidence of the fight, yeah. Yeah, too obvious to cover up with makeup on Philip, so he has to put some bandages on and say that he got himself shaving. Mm-hmm. And they're having family breakfast, but... Elizabeth gets a phone call. She's looking very concerned. Outside, Stan sees Philip and the son driving off, but notices the cuts on his neck. Hmm. Elizabeth is at home cleaning the trunk, where the daughter asks to go to the drugstore. I thought there was going to be more from this. Like, the way she looks. (laughs) Uh I thought it was like her getting her first period or something. Yeah, maybe they're setting it up for future episodes. Just the way she's like, can we go to the drugstore, please? I was like... Oh, she's got her first period or something. <laughs> Stan is at his home talking to his wife, says that he likes Philip, but notices that there's something off about him. Uh-huh. And Stan's wife is mocking him about bringing the job home with him and saying, you know, this is the most boring, normal neighborhood that we will ever see. Uh, yeah, I like the, the wife making fun of him. Oh, yeah, yeah. Philip, in a disguise, finds the creepy older guy from the mall. Beats mm. the crap out of him and stabs him in the hand with cooking fork. Yeah, this was very Taken esque. <laughs> or like, I don't even know about that. Just what other stuff have we watched where the spies are vigilantes too? Like, I don't know, mm. Burn Notice. I know we haven't watched that yet, but that is yeah. one. Yeah, but yeah, and he says, "No more little girls, or I'll come back and I'm gonna, I'll stab you in the heart next time." So this this suffers from the. The Return of the King effect, because there were like five times where I thought it was the end. You're not even close to the end, really. No, no, I was like, <laughs> oh, this th- wait, how is there still 20 minutes left? In the KGB safe house in Bethesda, Maryland, which I would love to know where this is. <laughs> <laughs> Elizabeth enters, she meets General Zukov, who wants mm-hmm. to know where Timoshev is. Elizabeth says that Timoshev tried to escape, so they killed him. Apparently the center is concerned Reagan is in power now, and the Cold War is not so cold anymore. Elizabeth mm. apparently had reported on Philip having doubts before, and Zukov wants to know if he can be trusted. But Elizabeth covers for him, says it was actually her fault that this happened. Mm. 
The general says that he can't protect her all the time and that he's fighting against comrades who are acting like they were in their darkest days and that the mission is going to change. It's going to be more dangerous and uglier. In other words, they're going to have to actually do stuff because it's a TV show and they need to do (laughs) stuff. Though I got to say, this is a little bit implausible that they're so deep undercover that they've been there for 20 years, but then they can Uh, just go and meet (laughs) a general. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever. I mean, they do need to talk to them somehow. But I actually did like the part of the KGB politics when they were like, Reagan says he's an evil empire, and for Mm -hmm. him, this is like an existential conflict, and he wants us gone, and that makes us defensive. Mm -hmm. I I like that. Yeah. 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 So back at FBI HQ, they're trying to track down the identity of the deceased John Doe, who we know as Rob. Mm Mm-hmm. Deputy Attorney General arrives in the meeting and says that Reagan has authorized Top Secret Authorization 2579, which gives the FBI Counterintelligence Office all necessary measures to dismantle Directorate S sleeper agents and get rid of all of them. So I guess they believe that they're real. Yep, and that there's a war coming, basically. Mm. So Philip and Elizabeth are in bed. He asks her why she never told him about Timoshev. She mm. says that it was her other life, and they were never supposed to talk about it. Right. She tells him that it's going to get uglier and more dangerous, but Philip thinks they'll be fine. They've been at this a long time. And yep. this is where Elizabeth breaks the rules uh-huh. and starts telling Philip about her life before. She was born in Smolensk. Do you remember where we've heard about Smolensk before? It was probably like... The man from Uncle or something like that. It was Get Smart. Yeah, one of those. They stop in Smolensk <laughs> and their their cafe Minsk in Smolensk. Nice. So yeah, Elizabeth yeah. is not as perfect of a rule follower as she seems. No. Apparently, her father died in Stalingrad in World War Two. Her mother was a bookkeeper for the local party committee, mm-hmm. and we find out what her former name was, which was Nadezhda. And now we go to another flashback of Northern Virginia in August of 1965. Phyllis and Elizabeth have just arrived in a hotel room. They're marveling at the air conditioner. Yep. <laughs> Philip tries to start something romantic, but Elizabeth says she's not ready yet, so he rightfully just like doesn't like doesn't push it. Yeah, but, but also she- Philip is ready to defect like as soon as he gets off the plane. <laughs> He's like, "This is really nice. Look how nice this country is." It's Whereas hilarious. Elizabeth is like, <laughs> I sense a weakness in the people. Mm-hmm. Back in the present day, Stan is walking around the neighborhood. He goes to their garage, picks the lock, breaks in, is inspecting their plates, walks around the entire car, looks around, goes to the trunk, picks the lock. And as I, he's doing this, I notice he does not have any gloves on. Come on, Stan. Well, an ordinary business insurance guy would not be fingerprinting his own house why would he i don't know that's it's just still anytime that they're doing it going around like this and they don't have the gloves on uh-huh. just like, really well, come on is stan doing anything illegal because they said you can yes, use all available means you can use all available means to catch director uh, s agents all right all i right. bet if he got I, caught his agency would have covered for him true maybe so he opens the trunk doesn't find anything in their trunk and as he's leaving we mm. see a silhouette of Philip hiding in the dark with a silenced gun, ready to shoot Stan as Stan leaves. That but was he great. He leaves, and with that, credits roll. Yeah, the image of him with the gun was really good. 
a, a good way yeah, to end yeah, it. I was surprised by that. That was good. All right, so that is the episode. Ready for some spy fact versus fiction? Sure, what do you got? Again, this is a high-profile enough show that the mass media has done a little bit of my work for me. <laughs> so we have a Washington Post article by Catherine Brodsky called What's Real and Fake in the Americans According to Real-Life Spies. All right. And a lot of quotes is by Emily Brandwin, who's a former CIA officer in L.A., who had to maintain a cover identity for her friends and dated fellow CIA officers, so she knows what's going on. She said, the reality of espionage is it can be exciting, but it can also be a very dark and lonely job. When you're trained to be a professional liar and you're dealing with other trained liars, it's very bizarre. She liked the disguises. She says, it's never a joke. It's really a part of how the characters pull off their operations. But the show doesn't get everything right. She said, quote, The murder and mayhem on the show is probably more the Hollywood part of it. Violence mm-hmm. leaves forensic information can be seen by witnesses, increases right. the risk of detection. It's great for the storyline, but it would never happen so frequently to such valuable assets as these two illegals. In the real world, if you get involved in a violent incident, you are likely on the first plane home. Which actually makes total sense, right? Yep, yep yeah. It reminded me of the guy from Bridge of Spies, where he lived uh-huh. in the U.S. for a long time, but all he ever did was read the newspaper. Also, from Fair Play by James M. Olson, our favorite book, uh, yes. he said, mm-hmm. The CIA and the FBI do not use sexual entrapment, but the KGB made an art form of it while uh, it was still around. Right. A couple other things. The conversation that he has, the debrief with the secretary, that would take place in what's called a skiff which stands uh-huh. for a sensitive compartmented information facility used to process... Right sensitive information, limited to people with the appropriate clearance, and prevents Mm -hmm. the use of recording devices, photographic (laughs) devices, and so on. It wouldn't happen in somebody's living room after talking about something sensitive. And then the last point I have is when they're talking about the Oldsmobile, they say it has a bumper sticker on it. Now, I did not go back and watch to see if their car has a bumper sticker on it. I don't remember. But, But if it does, that's a big mistake. Like, no real-world spy would ever have a bumper sticker on the car because it makes it very easy to identify. Mm -hmm. Unless they had, like, a removable magnetic one to throw people off, which would be pretty tricky. I don't think that was a thing at that time. Hey, maybe the spies have it. There you go. Um, Also, just just a general tip for any listeners, people say, and I'm inclined to agree, you don't want to have bumper stickers on your car that contain identifiable information like the classic example is my it's kid like, is an honor roll student right, at blotty blah, uh, blah middle school it's like broadcasting to the world i have a kid in middle school in my car <laughs> follow me right. home so that's all i have for spy fact versus fiction all right i've got a few things so i don't know the exact timeline of when this show was created but it came out in 2013 and in 2010 just you know, three years beforehand, so it had to have been around that time, is when we had the uh, revelation of the Russian 10, the illegals program, where there was mm-hmm. a bunch of Russian sleeper agents undercover. There is a great exhibit on them in this International Spy Museum. They have all of the handcuffs of, of all 10 that they were arrested in. The most infamous of the Russian 10 would be Anna Chapman, um, mm-hmm. mostly because of her looks. But she was actually pretty unsuccessful in actually getting any information. But there were others who were actual couples who may have been more in the vein of what we see in the Americans. And I take it they didn't kill anybody? To my knowledge, no. Mm -hmm. 
I don't know if we've ever actually talked about it, but we did just sort of like, maybe we talked about it back in Breach, but a dead drop mm. is a method of espionage tradecraft used to pass information or items between two individuals using a secret location. By avoiding direct meetings, individuals can maintain operational security. This method stands in contrast to the live drop, so-called because two people meet to exchange items or information in person. Mm. And so, yeah, the method that he used is, you know, hiding under a bench. Generally, when you're doing a dead drop, you also have a way to signal the person, whether that's uh, chalk on a mailbox or tape on a telephone pole or something. Mm -hmm. Lastly, the astronaut that was honored in the event at the Sun's Middle School was Thomas P. Stafford. He's an American former Air Force officer and test pilot and one of the 24 people who flew to the moon. Now, what's notable Mm -hmm. about him is that he was the commander of the Apollo-Soyuz test project, which was the first U.S. and Soviet joint space mission. They had to create a module that would on one end fit a Soyuz capsule and the other would dock with an Apollo so they could, you know, actually meet link up. And there was I know just from my knowledge you know, my love of space travel, that the language barrier was actually overcome by having the American astronauts speak in Russian and the Soviet cosmonauts speak in English back to each other. So that Mm. they could rather than everyone speaking one language or ever speaking another language they all spoke the opposite language. So it was a really, you know, revolutionary project at the time, especially since it was 1975, still the height of the Cold War. Yeah, they didn't really do a lot with that astronaut in that one part. I think it was really just to ha- uh, have an excuse to have all that Americana around so that mm-hmm. Philip could start feeling doubts again. All right, but that's what I've got for Spy Fact for Spy Fiction. All right, so next we have our favorite quotes. Would you like to go first? Sure, I've just got, got one. Okay. And it's from uh, Chris, the uh, K.A. Agent Sitwell, who says, Someone's been reading too many spy novels. We're talking figment of the imagination here. <laughs> nice. Well, I've actually got a few. All I right. did like there's a weakness in the people. There's a part where they're walking to the school, and one of the kids says, Why didn't mom come? And Philip says, She doesn't like new things. <laughs> Yeah, I like how subtle that was. Philip's like saying to Stan, we got to watch out for the Russians. They're bad news, aren't they? And Stan says, they certainly are, Philip. They certainly are. In a somewhat condescending manner. Alrighty, so shall we get to our ratings? Yes, on a scale of 1 to 10 martinis, 1 being Avengers 1997 and 10 being even better than Taken, how would we rate the pilot of the Americans? I can go first. So I got to say, I wasn't overly impressed by this, and I may have been influenced by, A, my dad hyping it up, and B, right. watching the rest of the next few episodes. Oh, so, okay. Uh. So the thing is, I asked my dad, is this the show? Philip and Elizabeth arguing over whether to defect. Do Philip and Elizabeth love each other? Will Philip and Elizabeth get caught? Will it just be those three conflicts repeating over and over? And he said, spoiler alert, Yes. So it's like the supernatural effect where it's the same thing over and over and over and nothing really changes. Interesting. All so right. All right. this episode was an okay premise for the show, yeah. but it, it didn't make me want to come back and, and watch more because I know it's just going to be more of the same forever. <laughs> so and, and the characters were okay, but they didn't grab me. So I'm going to give it a four and a half out of ten. Wow. All right. 
So I had the opposite. Well, maybe because I didn't know all of that. Uh-huh. But I had the opposite effect where this did make me want to watch more of this show. And I thought, like, the spy action here was done. It was much more realistic than some of the other things we've watched. Obviously not... James Bond Jr. Real world. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Or Archer, for that matter. <laughs> but even though it is spy fiction, it sort of, you know, went to that side of, like, Munich and other things that you mentioned. Action seemed much more realistic. I did like that it still had some good spy fights. You know, the, I thought the fight choreography was pretty good. Mm-hmm. And I liked the characters. What this made me think of is that had Carrie Russell not been killed off so early in Mission Impossible 3, she could have had mm-hmm. a great role in the, the coming movies, which is a shame. Um, yeah. But I I really enjoyed this. And just judging just on this episode, I'm going to give this a 7. A 7 out of 10. All right. Perfectly enjoyable. All right, well, thank you for joining us for the pilot of the Americans. See you next time for our rerun summer. You can find us on social media at the SpyFi Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time, I'm Zach. And I'm Christian. And we are the SpyFi Guys signing off. Thank you for listening to the SpyFi Guys. If you enjoyed our podcast, please be sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. The theme song from this podcast is Mistake the Getaway by Kevin MacLeod from Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Films, books, and television shows reviewed by our podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This is a personal podcast. Any views, statements, or opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the participants. They do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the participants may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated. Any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual. You can find our podcast on social media at The Spy Fi Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.